Good evening, church. Once again, we'll be looking at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, thank you so much for coming out uh, on such a cold night. As Neil would say, it may be cold outside, but it sure is warm in here. Yeah. I'm very excited to host the Paysetters Conference. Um, the, we have the three bishops of the Free Methodist Church coming into town um, tomorrow evening, and uh, they'll begin meeting on Friday and Saturday, and then. Uh, next week, you know, starting on Monday, we're going to have, as Kelly said, all these pastors come into town, their spouses, and they're going to spend uh, three days in this room. And, and I just want to say, you know, uh, it's amazing, number one, uh, to uh, see Free Methodist pastors from New York and Seattle, Southern California and Texas and Iowa and Florida and everywhere in between come together. It's amazing the theological unity in our movement. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but also going into times like this, um, you got to remember these are pastors. These are pastors' spouses. Uh, and so come, some of them come in here with very heavy hearts. And, uh, you know, their churches may be going through things. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but church, churches have people in them. You know that? And uh, there could be, you know, things going on in their life. I know one pastor right now in Florida, his wife's battling cancer. You know, so whenever you get th this many uh, pastors together, you know, um, I just can't help but think that sometimes there's a, some of them are carrying very heavy loads. I, I'm very blessed, uh, to, just to be honest with you, uh, blessed with health and family and uh, church family and, you know, things are going so well, but I'm also aware that not everything's going good for every pastor who's going to walk in here next week, and we get the opportunity just to be a blessing to them. So thank you uh, for uh, not coming in this room on Wednesday night. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, please go. Neil's, he's, he's in Judges 14. I think you said you're teaching about a heifer or something like that. That's what he told me. So just, it's, it's, a, ooh, it's riveting. Please come. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Um, but, uh, but what I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to just pray for the room, if you don't mind. If you've got an empty chair beside you, uh, just reach out and realize somebody's going to be sitting in that chair. 
and they could be walking through a lot of things. And so could we just pray for next Wednesday, next week with these pastors coming in? Father, I thank you uh, for the great honor and privilege it is that next week we get to host pastors from all over this country who are doing everything that they know to do uh, to be faithful to you. They're doing everything that they know to do to help lead your people. And so, Lord, as they come in, Lord, whether their spirits are high and lifted or whether they're low, Lord, would you meet with them right where they are? Would you touch in powerful ways? As, as our bishops take a few days to, to pour into them and us, Lord, would you just move in a powerful way? Would you give the right words to say that would inspire them and encourage them? Uh, Lord, would you build them up? Would you fire them up? And Lord, those who need it, would you hold them up? Lord, would you do that in this room next week in a powerful way? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for that. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 2 and about 20 other places, but uh, we're going to start in Psalm 2. We finally finished verse 1. So we get to start verse 2, and verse 2 and 3 actually go together. I just want to stop with verse 2, though. It says, um, after the, the raging of the nations and the plotting of people, it says, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And I told you that ultimately Psalm 2 is a psalm about Jesus. And it's, it's quoted all throughout Scripture in many different ways. There's so many references to this psalm. And so here again we see this, this thread that's running through. We talked about the anger raging. We talked about the plotting of people. And here we see the kings of the earth, again, all those uh, spirits and principalities that are against God. They do two particular things. It says, first of all, that they set themselves against God, but they also take counsel together. And the setting themselves against God that we see here is that they take a stand against God that's completely opposed to what God stands for. So if it's God's ways, they're against it. If it's God's principles, they're against it. If it's God's word, as we'll see, they're against it. And it says also the rulers, they take counsel together. Now this phrase, take counsel, is interesting because it means literally to sit down, to fix yourself at a point and say, I'm not going to move. And that's what the rulers of the world do. They sit down, they say, I am not going to move, Lord, you can't move me. Which raises a really good question, and that is, does God have moving permission in your life? What a great question. And of course we all say, well, of course God does. If God wants to do something in me, then yeah, God can do that. But we have to really think about it, though, don't we? Can God really shift my thinking on things. You know, we say things all the time like, well, I think, I believe, I feel. We, we, just, we just throw those out all the time. You know, this is my thinking, this is my belief, or this is the way I feel about this or about that or whatever. And, and the question is, do we pause long enough to ask the question, what does God think? What does God believe? What does God feel about any particular thing? Can God really shift my thinking on something? Can he shift my heart on something? Uh, can God shift my schedule on something? Does God really have moving permission in my life? And we talk about it a lot of times in biblical terms of call and response. Meaning when God calls, no matter what the call is, I respond. Whatever it is he wants me to do, wherever it is he wants me to go, 
Whatever it is he wants me to be a part of, whatever it is he wants me to initiate, whatever it is he wants me to get on board with, whatever that may be, am I willing to respond to that? So a great question. Does God have moving permission in my life? Now, one thing we know throughout Scripture is that the world's assault, the rulers of this world, the kings of the earth, the world's assault on God is going to continue until the very end. And we should not be surprised at that. If you go to the last book in the Bible, Revelation 17, verse 14, here's the picture we see. We see that they, the world, will make war on the Lamb. By the way, the Lamb is Jesus. On the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with him, notice what it means to be with the Lamb, those with him are called, number one, chosen, number two, and faithful, number three. Notice they're called, meaning you're called and you responded. You were chosen, again, a response. And the result of that is faithfulness. The result of us answering God's call in our life is faithfulness. The result of us choosing our chosenness is faithfulness. That's what it's going to produce in our life. And as we've been walking through Psalm 2, that's what we've said. How do we be a faithful servant? In fact, next week, no, two weeks from now, I'm going to give you 10 points about that being a faithful servant. But that's the thread that runs all the way through this. Because remember, Psalm 1 is about authority. Who's in authority over your life? And what we see here is that this war is going to take place all the way to the end, but the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings will overcome them along with those of us who answer the call, who answer the call to be chosen. And the result of our life is faithfulness that we'll see. But it raises the question of why. Why does the world rage against God? Why does the world plot against God, as verse 1 says? Why do the kings of the earth set themselves, take a stance against God? Why do the rulers of the world uh, counsel together, sit down and fix themselves and say, God, you can't move me? Why? I'm going to give you three reasons. One is that the world hates the truth of God's word. The world hates the truth of God's word. Jesus is speaking in John 17, verse 14, and he says this high priestly prayer. He's praying. He says, I've given them, he's talking to God, I've given them, meaning his disciples, your word. Your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The difference between being of the world or not being of the world is the word. So Jesus says, I've given, Father, thank you for those you've given me. Again, the high priestly prayer. I have given them, I've given them your word. Now they are set apart. Now they are different. And you see that thread run all the way through John 15, all the way through 16, into 17, about abiding in the vine. Kelly referenced that earlier. And so the thing that differentiates the church or God's people, those who are called, chosen, and faithful from the world is God's word. And so those who are against God are first and foremost against his word. And this shouldn't shock us. That's why 1 John 3, 13 says, Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And notice the word brothers there. He's writing to a church. So don't be surprised, those of you who are brothers and sisters in Christ, because it's not gender specific, the brotherhood of believers, don't be surprised when you're a part of this brotherhood, when you're a part of the church, the world's going to hate you. The, the difference is you are following a different code. You're going against the systems of the world and the way those are laid out. 
Not only that, the world, not only does the world hate the truth of God's word, but the world follows the flesh. The the world follows the flesh. Now, Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we see that there are desires of the flesh They are against the operation and the working and the functioning of the Holy Spirit in our life and then vice versa. There's a war going on, in other words. And the flesh is at battle against us to keep us from trying to follow the Spirit that we want to follow. And and so the question is, what does all that mean? I want to give you three examples. One from Jesus, one from Paul, and one from John. Because they give us three different angles at this about this, the world following the flesh. And they get at the answer of why. Why does the world follow the flesh? Well, three reasons. Number one, Jesus says this in Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So right here, Jesus tells us that the world gives into the flesh Simply because it's easy. The flesh is weak. It's easy to give in. It's easy to give in. And so there's a whole lot of people in the world who just give in and they participate with the rulers and kings and the authorities of the world who are against God and they just give in simply because of weakness. It's easy. Again, it's easy to give in. Paul gives us this angle in Romans 7, 23. He says, but I see... In my members, meaning my body, the members of my body, I see in my members another law, waging war, waging war against the law of my mind, meaning the law that's been written on my mind, the, the, the right, the good that I know I should do. There's this war, uh, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body or in my members. So Jesus, whenever he's uh, talking in uh, Matthew 26, he says, people give in to the flesh because, it's, because of weakness, because it's easy. Paul here says, another reason why we give in to the flesh is because it's waging war on us, because of the attacks. And because we're just attacked and attacked and attacked, we just wear down, wear down, wear down till we just give in. But then John gives us another angle on this. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, John writes, and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Meaning, do not love the fallen systems and the fallen pleasures that are all around you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, Jesus says many times we just give in because of weakness, because giving in is easy. Paul says sometimes we give in because the attacks that we're experiencing just wear us down, so we give in. John says sometimes we're just enticed. We are enticed by the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It captures our heart. It entices us. We feed those desires, and we are drug off. And again, God's word combats all three. All three. 
But the world rages against God because the world hates the truth of God's word. But number two, it follows the flesh. Just gives in to the weakness. It gives in to the attacks. Allows itself to be enticed and dragged or drug away. The third reason, though, third reason, not only does the world hate God's truth, not only does the world follow the flesh, but also there is a very real enemy, and Satan's influence is rampant. Not sure if you know that or not. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It says you've got to be watchful. We're going to come back to that word watchful here in just a moment. Be watchful because Satan is very real and very alive and very much on the move around you. We get a picture of this in Psalm 10. It says he, the enemy, sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion, there's the word, in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. Both Old and New Testament give us this image of Satan being on the move. Satan trying to ensnare people. Satan trying to get people off track. He can't convince you. He can't take away your salvation. He tries to get you off track and try to make you ineffective, try to make you forfeit your birthright that you've been given. And so this is all a part of what's happening in the world. Again, along with the raging that we've been talking about, the plotting that we've been talking about, at the same time, the world takes a stand constantly against God. All you have to do is read the news to see that. The world sits down, firmly fixes themselves, and says, God, you can't move me. You can't move my mind. You can't move my heart. You can't make me do anything. Completely and totally against God. And the question is, where do we find comfort for that? You say, that's a pretty grim reality. You got a lot of people out there that hate the truth of God's word. You got a lot of people out there that just want to follow the flesh. And then you got Satan on the loose. So, what does that mean for us Christians? I think a part of what that means is that God's endurance, God's endurance has to encourage his servants. God's endurance. Have you ever thought about that? God has had to endure. God has had to have persistence. We see it most clearly in Jesus himself. Jesus, as our example, showed us what it's like to endure. A lot of times we just sit back and we say, oh, God, God, you just are all powerful. You just have it easy. You just have it easy. No, but actually God in the flesh came to this earth and then had to go through this thing called endurance. We see it in Hebrews 12, 3. The verse says, consider him. Take time to think about him, him being Jesus. Take time to meditate on him. Take time to ponder him. Take time to stare at him. Why? Consider him who endured. 
Jesus endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And why did he do this? So that you, meaning Christian, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Right there, the writer of Hebrews tells us to constantly be looking at Jesus. That's why in other places he says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes upon him, right? He says, consider him. Take time to constantly soak in your mind who Jesus is and what he had to endure. Because if you do that, you do that, it's going to help you and me not grow weary and not be faint-hearted. Because the more we look at Jesus, we realize that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in us. And so the more we look at Jesus, the more we realize, because he did, I can. That phrase will change your life. Because Jesus did, I can. Every time I think, I can't do this, or we hear God call us to do something, we hear God call us to be a part of something. Every time, every time there's something in front of us, and we, Lord, I got to go through this again. I got to keep being faithful through this again. Lord, I got to keep being persistent through this again. We say, Well, because He did, I can. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And as Jesus said to His first disciples, and He says to us, I've given you my, my word. You have it. And that's what Jesus is saying from heaven right now I endured, and you can endure. I endured, and you can endure. You can keep going. And so we tell ourselves, because Jesus endured for me, I can endure for him. We live in a world of quitters. You ever notice that? We just give up on stuff all the time. All the time. But here's the thing. Endurance is needed for the Christian faith, for the Christian walk. It's absolutely needed. And you say, well, why is it needed? And here's why. Every opportunity that God gives you. Every opportunity will always have opposition. Everyone. Somehow we think we're exempt from opposition. Somehow we think that we're exempt and, and that everything should just go our way. But every opportunity that the Lord will give you is also going to have opposition. Because when you respond, when He calls, and you respond, there is a spiritual reaction that takes place. And the enemy doesn't like it. So every opportunity that God is going to call you into, you just might as well go ahead and prepare for it. There's going to be opposition. Again, that's why 1 John 3.11 said what he said. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. We shouldn't look up and be like, oh, I'm getting opposition. How did that happen? No, expect it. Expect it. Now, you don't want to go looking for it and making a demon out of everybody, no. But when God calls you and gives you an opportunity to serve in some way, gives you an opportunity to build his kingdom in some way, there's always going to be opposition and come from many different angles. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. Paul is writing here, and he's talking about what happened in Philippi. And he said, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, he's recounting what happened there. He says, as you know, the church in Thessalonica knew what happened. He says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You see both. There's the opportunity to declare the gospel of God. 
And there's the opposition in the midst of much conflict. You see this over and over. Here's another example. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a wide door, he's closing down the letter, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Sounds good, doesn't it? What door's wide open. I can walk right through it. Effective work is going to happen if I walk through that door. If I answer that call, do what it is that God has called me to do. Wide door. And there are many adversaries. Opportunity. It could be awesome. It could be great. Great impact for the kingdom. But also opposition. And over and over what you see faithfulness, God's faithful servants do, is they know that there's going to be opposition, even if they may not know where it's going to come from. They know there's going to be opposition, and they still take the opportunity. That's why there has to be this kind of grit in a follower of Christ. There has to be this get it doneness. That's the Greek word for grit. <laughs> get it doneness. I think I just made that up. There, there has to be this grit, this get it doneness, if you will, because the other option is give up. You either get it done or you give up. And we have a world out there of people who say they're Christian. And then they have events happen in the world. And then they give up. Have you noticed that? We have a world of people who say they're Christians. Particularly in the South. But they're everywhere. But then events take place. And they give up. Events like COVID. Events like things happen in their family. Events like things happen at their job. See, there's always going to be opposition. It's going to come in all kinds of forms. Sometimes it's going to be direct persecution. Sometimes it's going to be indirect persecution. Sometimes it's just going to affect you. Sometimes it's going to affect your family. Sometimes it's going to affect the whole. It's going to happen. There's always going to be some form of opposition to try to get you to not respond to God's call. And to get you instead to not respond so that you can set yourself against him. Because that's what a no answer is. To get you to firmly sit down and fix yourself against him. Because that's what a no answer is. And it happens all the time. And that's why the Christian church, that's why Fraser Church and any other church that you want to call out, that's why we have to come to that place where we decide in our mind, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm not going to rage in anger. And I'm not going to plot against him, verse 1. And I'm not going to set myself against him. And I'm not going to counsel together with others so that I can firmly fix myself in saying no to the Lord. Instead, I'm movable. And if I stay movable, God can move my heart, He can move my mind, He can move my hands, however He sees fit. If I stay movable then, 
He's going to give me opportunities. And yes, there will be opposition. But I'm not going to let the opposition keep me from taking the opportunities. Right now, we'll skip to 2 Chronicles 16.9. I love this verse. You see, right now, and in every generation, this is happening. This is happening. I love this. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Right now, God is absolutely dedicated to strengthening your dedication. Right now, God is absolutely committed to strengthening your commitment. Right now. And I love this. In every generation, God is searching for people who are committed. And then he's going to take that commitment and he's going to strengthen that commitment. But the warning is this, Hosea 4.1. The warning is this could be our generation. Hear the word, O Israel, uh, word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. I'd hate to hear that. The controversy is there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. I never want to hear that. If there is no faithfulness, grit, steadfast love, and enduring love, why? Because and no knowledge of God in the land. You can write this one down and take it to the bank, and that is that the ignorant will always ignore God. The reason why there's no faithfulness and steadfast love is because, back to that verse, if I could have it one more time, is because there's no knowledge in the land. Go to the next slide. There it is. No faithfulness or steadfast love and knowledge in the land. When there's no knowledge of God in the land, faithfulness is going to fall. When there's no knowledge of God in the land, steadfast love is going to fall. And I love that steadfast love. It's not just feeling. It's steadfast. It's action. It's love in action. Endurance. And so what that verse is telling us is that the ignorant will always ignore God. Every single time. And here's the thing, guys. We get to choose what we're ignorant about. We get to choose what we're ignorant about. You know, I talk about, I've said it many times, I was having a conversation today, I'm not on social media. I'm not against social media, by the way, at all. I think it's a great tool that can be used in many, many wonderful ways. I think it's wonderful. At the same time, I made a choice. I made a choice that has to do with the capacity of my mind and what information I can take in in a day. And my choice is I'm going to take in other things in in a day. It has nothing, to, nothing wrong with social media in that sense. But it's a choice. I choose to be ignorant about those things. And again, a wonderful tool. I have to ask Emily, Emily, what's going on in so-and-so's life, you know? Wonderful tool. Get it. But we make choices about what we take in or we make choices about what we omit in our life. And when it comes to this idea of knowledge of the land, of being a faithful servant, 
of understanding that right now the Lord is searching for those who are committed to him so that he can strengthen them, of seizing the opportunities even though there'll be opposition. Uh, When it comes to all of that, we have to understand if we're ignorant of what the Lord wants from us, it's not God's fault. It's not. It's ours. And so may we commit ourselves saying, Lord, you have moving permission in my life. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I know what you want to move. And when you say go, I will, will respond. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because you are so good. I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us in so many powerful ways. And Lord, we pray tonight. uh, We just ask that you would help us be those who are counted among the committed. Help us be those who hear the call and respond. We hear you say, I have chosen you. And we say, yes, Lord, so that we may be faithful. Lord, I pray we take responsibility if there be any ignorance in us. Because the last thing we want to do is ignore you. We simply want to be your servants. We want to hear clearly, clearly, that we may work diligently and play a small role in building your vast kingdom. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.